Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode of the podcast where week after week, I speak to amazing leaders and share their insights and inspiration with you. And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others, don't keep it to yourself. The more we tell others about this amazing resource, we can elevate the collective. And on a personal note, just know that I am here to serve the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow, navigate your challenges with confidence. And today, I am so excited that I met this amazing individual, Dan Purvis, who is the CEO and co-founder of Valentium, a professional engineering firm that specializes in the design and manufacture of therapeutic and diagnostic active medical devices, a serial entrepreneur and the founder of six companies. He has fulfilled his dream of building a company that puts culture before function, results before profit. And again, we will go deep into his background and spend a bit of time around his book, 28 Days to Save the World, Crafting Your Culture to Be Ready for Anything. So excited. Dan, welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. Thanks, Deb. Glad to be here. I would like to just start by saying that that 28 Days to Save the World was a a crazy story. Uh, We had the opportunity in the midst of quite honestly, the terror of COVID, right? We didn't know what was happening in March of 2020. And uh, it was scary from a pandemic and health perspective. It was scary as a business owner because it turned the economy upside down. And so I was literally sitting in an offsite meeting with my leadership team, all via Zoom. We're all in our, our home offices in this offsite talking about the PPP program where it's going to be time as, as C-suite leaders to try to figure out how to keep everybody in, employed. We had a draft email in my inbox that I've kept to this day talking to the company about like, we're going to do our best to keep everybody, but we just don't know what's coming. And in the midst of that meeting, we took a call from one of our clients, Ventec Life Systems, who makes ventilators, and that changed everything. And so through the process of the next 24 hours, I flew to Seattle and was in their next morning war room meeting. They had every morning at 8 a.m., told my wife I was leaving on a plane to fly to within seven miles of where the first deaths had just happened from COVID in the United States. And and it was a dramatic time, Deb. We we were walking down the little lane that we live on, and Julie is just silently walking next to me. And I said, babe, you, you know I have to do this. And the question I think I would have for your leaders is, what are those things around your organization where you know you have to do something? And so for us, we said 10 years ago that the core of this company, the core of Valentium, is to change lives for a better world. We exist to change lives for a better world. And I tell perspective and current staff all the time. And that starts with you and your family because I've got four kiddos. Their mom is my favorite person and and I'm passionate about family. But in this particular situation, the whole darn country stepped between us and our families because we had this unique ability because of our five-year relationship with Ventec to help them invent ventilator production 
to take their hundred units a month and try to grow it a bit. And just real quick, over the over the course of the next several weeks, uh, over the next several hours, General Motors and the federal government showed up. And I said, wait, General Motors, like the car company. Yeah. Why are they coming? We're not sure, but they come tomorrow morning. Do you mind if I come? Yeah, you could sit in the conference room. No problem. And within about 45 minutes of them being there, they said, look, we want to take your 100 units a month and turn it to 10,000 units a month. We want to build 30,000 ventilators in the next three months. And uh, that started a process over the next 28 days where in partnership with General Motors, Ventec Life Systems, and the federal government, we opened an old shuttered plant in Kokomo, Indiana. It was an old Delphi plant that General Motors had, and they found all the parts for 30,000 ventilators. Valentium built all the test systems to validate and verify those 30,000 ventilators. And over the course of 28 days, we turned a shuttered plant into a full-scale, state-of-the-art ventilator manufacturing plant and built 30,000 ventilators so that if it was, if it was Deb, your mom, or my mom, and one ventilator left, that was never going to have to happen, right? And so I didn't want people having to make a choice about who would get a ventilator and who would not. Such a fascinating story. And I just want to get a little bit into the details. So what role did your company have in this collaboration? I'm just curious, like, what did you build? What did you do? What did you supply? What did you do with all the people? I'm just curious about how did you get the troops into battle? <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, as you think about leadership, if you're listening, one of my biggest thoughts in this is to always ask the question, why not me? Why not me? Volunteer yourself again and again. Tim and I as co-founders thought that if we had sent somebody else instead of a co-founder, an entrepreneurial mindset into that meeting, we might have come away with a couple weeks of consulting. Instead, we came away with an order for 162 test stands with a delivery of immediate. And so we doubled the size of the company in a matter of days. Uh, we had UPS bringing shipments to us every morning on a dedicated truck. The 10 a.m. shipment would arrive at 7 a.m. at our place. Because on a Sunday afternoon, the head of UPS Houston area showed up with his 10-year-old son just to check out this Valentium company to see if they were really legit. What they found was a completely busy factory full of people building test systems. And so the crazy thing about this is you need operators to build ventilators and you need parts to build ventilators. But every subassembly and then every final ventilator needs to be tested because you want that ventilator to be right. It's got to be conformant with the FDA certified ventilator that was passed when it was going through regulatory approval. And so it was our test systems that had been approving ventilators on the Ventec floor at 100 per month in the past. And then it was our test systems that merely scaled in almost zero time to do it on the Kokomo, Indiana, Delphi floor in the future. And the fun thing about that was the only way that we were not going to be the bottleneck was to start early. And so there are going to be moments in your careers where you just know that even with the risk, I have to jump in. Uh, we had spent over $2 million on parts for ventilator test stands before we got an order from General Motors because it just had to happen. Lives were on the line. And so we got that purchase order from General Motors and scary as it was, I rejected it. It was the largest order in the history of the company and I rejected it. And the reason was because it said delivery two weeks. I said, I can't do that. That's not possible. They said, okay, what date do you want? I said, put this in. Every day, 24-7, at any time that you choose, Dan Purvis will brief whoever you want to be on that Zoom call with exactly where we stand. And they said, wait, that's not a date. I said, I know. <laughs> and, but you know what it did is that guts to go ahead and say that 
made us partners. We were then pulling on the same rope together as opposed to pulling against one another. If you said you'd do it by this day. And so we shipped our first ventilator test stand four days after we received that order because we had already started working in advance of the order. And then we finally got the order and started sending things. It was remarkable, but it was crazy. 16 hour days, seven days a week. I told everybody on our staff, there was about eight or nine leaders of different teams. I said, if you're going to work on this project as a leader, you can't just agree to work 16 hour days until it's done, seven days a week until it's done. You have to agree to force that on everybody that works on your team. And when their body gives out, send them home to bed. And when they wake up, they can come back and do it again. And so, and it turns out about nine days is when you start to shut down and that's fine. Then, you know, get some rest and come right back. And so it was, it was great. Yeah. Now just curious again, I mean, you had the existing staff that you had to commit to doing this work, but I mean, even during a time where people's lives are at stake because of the unknown and the illness, et cetera. And then it sounds like you had to bring in more people again, not only Mm -hmm. make stuff, but bring in people to make stuff. So what was that like to then increase the workforce during a time where there was so much uncertainty with public health? What a great question. We we had a lot of available workers, right? Because everybody everywhere was home watching Netflix. <laughs> you know? And so uh, so I, I called a lot of executive friends of mine and I said, hey, I need you to buy stuff for me. And I, I know you're not a buyer, but you're aggressive and you won't take no for an answer. And so when somebody says, I can't get that to you, it's going to take six weeks. She's like, no, I need it tomorrow. And so find me somebody who could do that. And so I had executive friends doing that. And then Lots and lots of oil field workers were put on just temporary furlough because there was no work in the oil industry because nobody was driving cars. And and so we added 65 operations workers in the course of about 96 hours. And any time we talked to somebody and they said, well, what are you going to pay me? If that was the first question, we said pass and we moved on to the next person. Not that we didn't pay well. We did pay well, but I wanted people that were coming for the cause. And the cause was once again, there's one ventilator left and my mom and your mom both have COVID. I don't want to ever have to make a doctor or medical personnel make that choice. There should be two ventilators left, right? And so people needed to be passionate about the cause because there was some personal risk. And we were a super spreader organization then, right? Because we have all these workers in a factory. And so we masked up as best you can, but it was people in close proximity working on test systems. And so the people that stepped up and really jumped in, not only did they get paid well, but they got that moment in time where they could say, you know what, we made a difference here. At the end of this process, when the first ventilator went out of that factory, everybody had a chance in that factory to sign the box. And it was remarkable. And so there's there's Sharpie all over that box as it got on a UPS carrier and headed headed out to a hospital that was like, you know, we're excited. We're, we're so thrilled to provide this very first ventilator out of the shop. And, and so on behalf of our company, I got to put, we're excited to partner with you to change lives for a better world. And we put that into everything we talk about. It is the passion of our company. It's why we exist. I, I hear people from time to time, and maybe your listeners do the same. They'll hear that we exist to return to the shareholders or to increase profits. And I'm like, you know what? I've never had a candidate when I'm interviewing, if I say, what are you passionate about? They've never answered air, never answered air. And yet six minutes from now, Deb, we're both dead, right? Without it. <laughs> air is absolutely essential, but it's not what I'm passionate about. It's what I live on. And guess what? That's profit for a company. Profit is absolutely essential. This is not Valentium Charities. And I'm passionate for profit. I'm passionate for efficiency because the more money we can make, the more lives we can change, but it's not the money, it's the lives. And so 
Getting to something that's more than air is what we say in my book is something that you're truly passionate for. I live on air, but not for air. You know what I love about what you keep saying through and through, but this is part of what leadership is. And for those listeners out there, whether you're already in the C-suite or trying to get there, it's what do you stand for? What's your purpose? What's the greater cause? And as Dan has keep saying, it's to change lives for a better world. And I talk about, I serve C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate challenges with confidence. And I also say, because I want them to struggle less and spend more time doing the things they love for themselves, family, community, et cetera. So there's a greater purpose for us being on here today and all of the other work. It's not just trying to make the money. It's very nice, but obviously it's we want to make a difference. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question before we get to your book, because I want you to talk a little bit more about that is that, okay, you sound like you have a can-do attitude, but did you ever have one of those oh-no moments where, can we really do that? <laughs> I can't keep this up. I'm not sure we're doing the right thing because obviously there's a lot of heroism in there. It was a moment in time you can't repeat. Hopefully we don't. It, it was just a wonderful moment. But did you as a leader ever have any doubt? And how did you get through that? And if not, that's okay too. Sure. Sure. No, I'll tell a couple of stories, one from my past and then one from this this ventilator story. So in our past here in Houston, Texas in 2017, Harvey hit, Hurricane Harvey, and it flooded billions of dollars worth of damage, lots and lots of people. And we told our staff, go home, fix your homes, fix your neighbor's homes, do what you have to do, and we'll keep paying you. And we were relatively small in 2017 compared to where we are today. But it seemed to be in line with our first value. We have three values at the company. Honorable, we'll do right for right's sake. Uh, it was honorable to just pay people right through that. But I watched our bank account dwindling, right? And we got to the point where I told my wife that on November 1st, we had an offer to buy 50% of the company. We would sell out. And it was crazy. It was an evaluation that was orders of magnitude less than where we are today. And so we were. it was going to fire sale the company. I was like, but it is what it is. We have to eat. And you get to these all-in moments like that where you're just like, it is what it is. And so on Halloween night, my wife had headed over to our in-laws with the kids in their costumes. I was picking up fajitas at 540 at night and the phone rang and we got the largest order in the history of the company at 540 the night before. And, and moments like that happen in success stories because you're going to get to all-in moments to the very edge of the cliff over and over again. And the ones that succeed are the ones that found a way to make it through, right? And so it's terrifying. I, I tell people all the time, and hopefully your listeners are encouraged by this, the most talented and the smartest people are not the most successful people. The most successful people are the most stubborn people. The people <laughs> that just say, I don't care what hits me. I am not giving up. Hang in there. Hang in there. You can do it. And so <laughs> in, in the midst of this $2 million pre-spend, uh, before we had a purchase order in the ventilator story, there came out this deal from Trump, same old Mary Barra, all bark and no bite. And they're posturing in the media, the head of General Motors and the president of the country about like, maybe the federal government doesn't want to partner with you. And I'm like, holy smokes, I've already bought a lot of parts and and Mary Barra, to her credit, she said, hold firm, keep the passion, keep going to all of the General Motors people that were working on it. And I was like, OK, OK. But that was one of those nights where I did not make eye contact with my wife because she can sniff out when I'm scared. And I was terrified because I had bet the company on this deal because it was the right thing to do. And then a few days later, we got an order and it was fine. But that was one of those all in moments where I was like, oh, golly, I hope I hope I've made the right call. 
Okay. I mean, you and I could swap stories because those definitive moments in life that either say this is the right thing to do or, you know, jump in or build the plane as you're trying to fly, you've got to do. But I guess that's what being somewhat of a risk taker is, being an entrepreneurial spirit, having that stubbornness. I, you know, if nothing else, I should be really, really, really successful for as stubborn as I have, because (laughs) I just believe I can do it. And you know what? What is success? I am here today interviewing you on this podcast, sharing great insights with my listeners. I am on a virtual stage. And you know what? That's what I want. Being able to help more people than I can imagine. I am successful because you and I are here today. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com and click on my products, the CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now back to the conversation. So let's go into the book a little bit. So the book is 28 Days to Save the World, Crafting Your Culture to be Ready for Anything. And I want our listeners to get a copy of this book. Tell us more about the inspiration for this book. Obviously, you've shared a little bit of the backstory. And what are some key things that you share with the readers in this book? Yeah, I love that. And the whole thought behind this was we have been practicing culture. We wanted to be a culture-forward company from the get-go. And we had been practicing culture at Valentium for a decade when the ventilator opportunity came upon us. And there's a chapter in the book called Slow, Fast, Slow. And the idea behind that is that you build your roots deep into your organization. And then every so often, you're either you're going to go out and seize a pair of aces or a pair of aces are dealt to you and you've got to go all in. And if you sit around when you have that pair of aces and think about, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm not really sure, should we really do it? No, you've been preparing and preparing and preparing by building the roots into your organization so that when that moment comes, you go for it. You seize the day. And then after you get through that moment, then you have to step back, review what just happened. How could it have been better? Lick your wounds, recover. The, the word picture we use in the book is this idea of rafting, that there are times to float and drink beer, and it's amazing. And then there are times where you better listen to that guy in the back, because if you don't, you're probably all going over and some of you might not make it. And it's like right side all forward and back left side all back. And we got to do it. And you're looking at that in front of you going, you've got to be kidding me. I paid for this. You know, it's (laughs) and then you make it through that and it was exhilarating. And then you float and drink more beer. Right. And so uh, those moments happen in a company. And so what we wanted to craft, I wanted to write a book that hopefully partnered with you all on how to practice culture. Not how to build a culture, but how to make sure that culture is different than just platitudes on a conference room wall or on a website. Here's how we practice it. And so uh, we've got lots of different chapters in the book about principles-based leadership. And so getting to your principles is what lots of culture books are about, your values, your passion, your vision, et cetera. Once you have those, we say principles over rules. 
And my favorite two words that I lead Valentium with every day, and I love them, they're my favorite two words by far, are you decide. You decide. And so if you will create a principles-heavy, rules-light organization, and then through the lessons in this book, like reach simple, think, grow, uh, be teachable, be human, like those principles, as you'll learn about in the book, will teach you then how to build a you decide culture. And a you decide culture is beautiful, Deb, because with a you decide culture, it's not dependent on you and your hours at the office anymore to scale. And people will come down the hallway. I have a, an office at the end of the hall and a, there's a glass window where you could see me in there and my family's on the, on the back wall. So as you're walking down the hall, you're looking at my family because that's why we're all here, right? Is to, to enhance our lives. You come down and you tell me your situation and I start to smile. And I've had leader after leader in our company go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, yeah, you decide. <laughs> they're like, yeah, but what do you think? And then I'm quick to tell them, I think that you will make a great decision <laughs> and, and you cannot decide for them because if you will force your organization to be a thinking organization, you get away from an F key organization. And I'll tell you one quick story around the F key organization that you got to not be. What is the F key? I'm going to tell you, I've got okay. two adopted sons from Kazakhstan. Uh, and as part of that process of adopting babies from Kazakhstan, you need a dossier. And on a dossier, it says uh, you need to have a bank account in good standing. So I went into bigboxbank.com and I'll leave their name out to protect the guilty. And I said, hey, I just need something on your letterhead that says I have an account here. And literally the guy behind the desk, not a teller, said, I don't have an F key for that. I'm like, what are you talking about? We can print 12 forms from the branches. That's all we're allowed to do. And there's not an F key that has that form. So there's nothing I could do for you. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you're between me and my son. <laughs> like, you know, I need this. And they're like, I can't. I was like, hang on. Do you have this thing called the internet? And do you have this thing called Microsoft Word? Go to bigbox.com, get the logo, put it on Microsoft Word, write three sentences. It says I have an account here, sign it and notarize it. He's like, I can't do that. And after two hours of fighting and I thought I was going to get thrown out, he finally did it, handed it to me and said, I have done you a huge favor today. Ooh. And I was like, that is awful. I will never have an organization like that. If, if you have an opportunity to live according to our principles and make a decision as close to the client as possible and serve them, love them and do them right, do it. And if it's not according to our policies or procedures, then come and talk to me and say, here's the principle that I use. One of our three values, honorable, results plus plus or humble charisma. Or our main principle, which is changing lives for a better world, defend it according to those four, and I will have your back. And then you can never undermine that because you've undermined that, they'll stop thinking. And you want a thinking, you decide culture. And so that's what the book's all about. So obviously, if somebody is within your organization to practice culture, learn what you are sharing with us, it is easy. But so many people that I meet, mentees, people in my mastermind, the drop-in collective, they are not in a culture to practice this, this type of culture, being a proactive culture, uh, you decide culture. What is an up-and-coming potential C-suite leader to do if they got your book and they want to start practicing, mm -hmm. but they're not in the right environment to do that? What are some things they can do, if nothing else, to build those skills and muscles for themselves, if not here, maybe someplace else? Love that. So a couple of things. There's a there's a chapter in the book called Be Teachable. And I okay. love teachability because you could be completely devoid of character. But if you have one character quality and it's be teachable, there's always hope, right? So because yeah. you could always improve. And so of of all of the things you could do, be teachable. And so what does that look like for you as an up and coming leader? 
Uh, let me challenge you. I challenge our staff and anybody that will listen to me read for 30 minutes a day in your field of interest. And that might be leadership, that might be culture, that might be electrical engineering or or medicine or anything else that you're involved with. If you will read for 30 minutes a day in your field of interest in 10 years, you will be a world leader from a knowledge perspective. And this is a knowledge-based world. And so uh, that's the one thing you could do. Just challenge yourself each and every day to read. And people go, well, what would I read? I have a personal policy that if you recommend a book to me, I buy it immediately. And then I put it on Audible and I usually listen to 2X because I like to do things fast. In fact, it's built into our name. Valentium is Velocity, Momentum, and Ingenium. V-E-L, Velocity, E-N-T from the middle of Momentum, and I-U-M from Ingenium, which is Latin for talent. And so the whole idea behind Valentium is this idea of speed and talent. But as, as you're thinking about how do I lead a culture forward effort in a company that maybe doesn't give me any of that ability, what I would challenge you with is you can be culture forward in any group of people. So it could be just the four people that all open into your cube mates, right? The four people of your cube can create a culture forward environment. Your family can be a culture forward environment. Your dog park, the, the volunteerism that you do, your, your sports teams, your intramural teams, whatever the thing is that you're involved with, you can lead people. We have a tutor that comes and tutors my, my older two boys three to four nights a week. And he said, hey, will you mentor me? I said, sure, no problem. So we're going through a book and I said, pick a chapter, we'll read it together and then we'll talk about it. And, and we were talking about this idea of being communicative. And with communicative, it means you lean into situations and you, you go beyond just how you doing, how bad are the Texans, how great are the Astros, you know, th- just beyond that. And, and he said, I could never do that at work. And I was like, why not? He was like, well, we're coders and, and everybody just goes straight to their desk. I was like, try, see what happens. And he came back two weeks later. He's like, it was amazing. Like, I asked a more leading question to some colleagues. And next thing you know, we're getting to know each other. And I was like, you've just led. You've just led. It's just a little piece. But in any circumstance, if there are other people around you, you have an opportunity to create microcultures that will train your skills such that when you get that opportunity to run an organization or create an organization, guess what? If you create an organization, it's really fun because as the first employee of Valentium, there's 130 of us now. I was running it because I was the chief janitor and the chief leader and the chief everything. And if you start it, you get to run it, which is really, really fun. You know what I love about that? And a lot, I mentor a lot of people and I'm working with somebody right now and they shared with me how dysfunctional the culture actually happens to be. And they see a path forward. They have a vision for the future. And they're just asking me, you know, how can I do this? And I said, well, I can give it the tools. But I said, you can now be the leader that others need you to be. And where there isn't leadership in the company, you can be that person. Don't wait for the higher ups, but just start practicing, painting a picture of the future, start setting in the culture, ultimately others will follow. And if it doesn't work in this company, you can take those new skills and go elsewhere. Absolutely. That's really well said. The The fact is the beginning of the book says, why not you? Why not you? When we were in that conference room with General Motors and Ventec Life Systems, 7 a.m. out in Seattle, they said, let's start with a round of introductions. And they got to me. I said, I'm Dan from Valentium and we build the test systems. And then they just went on. And it was like, I think I just got a multi-million dollar order. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and, but it took stepping into that conference room, which was a little nervous because it was not a meeting that I was necessarily invited to. It took saying, here's what we do, or, you know, it would be a lot more 
uh, mushy to say, and you know, I'm a, we run a software company and an electrical engineering company. We'd be happy to help. No, I said, we build the test systems. And as a result, we built the test systems. And so, but there were then numerous pain points over the next 28 days where it was then my job to make it happen. I would challenge you maybe in closing for your listeners to say that as a leader, your job is to ultimately pick the direction. And then your job is to make sure that that direction you picked is the right direction. And so the chairman of our of our board, he used to say, ultimately, you have to decide. And that's why I created a You Decide organization. And then make the decision you made the right decision. And that takes a lot of shoe leather and effort, right? So you have to just go out there and get it done then. So results absolutely matter. But but making sure that you're choosing the right hill to go climb is important as well. And as leaders, you've got that opportunity to say, hey, that's where we're headed. And then people will follow. Well, I love those words that we can probably bring it to a close based on those closing thoughts. I do sincerely appreciate you dropping it on the podcast. And any last final thoughts you'd like to share before we bring it to a close? Sure. I think that another chapter in the book, just real quick, is reach simple. Reach simple. Like if your life is complicated and you're finding yourself way stressed, reach simple. And so people say, well, how do I know if I have reached simple in anything, whether it be in your job, in the group that you're working in, in your personal life, et cetera, take a step back, pursue some solitude, take a deep breath. And if you're asking the question, have I reached simple? The answer is no, because <laughs> when you reach simple and you truly get simple in any circle of your life, you'll know it. And it's amazing. And the amount of energy that gets unleashed through you to the people all around you when you have truly reached simple in any area of your life is remarkable. So I'll leave you with that. Hopefully buy the book. My publishers told me I need to ask that more. And so please do. And uh, super excited to join you, Deb. It was really fun today. All right. Well, thank you so much again. 28 Days to Save the World, Crafting Your Culture to Be Ready for Anything. Be sure to get yourself a copy. Thank you again, Dan. And I do wish you much success and be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.